Heaven is real. There's a place called heaven. There is a place called hell. And we know this because Jesus told us that. 39 times in the Bible, hell is mentioned. 21 of those times, Jesus talks about it. People say, well, you know, I, I don't know how a loving God. Well, 21 times, Jesus spoke of hell in the Bible because it is a real place, not made for you. Anyone who goes to hell doesn't fall into hell. They climb over the goodness of God. They climb over local churches. That tried to, they climb over friends that tried to tell them heaven is real. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. But uh, I'm glad that heaven is a place. And you know, Jesus could come back today. He could come back today, and great Christians understand that. They understand they live in the imminent return of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're glad all of you are here. Those of you who come on a regular basis, thank you for your faithfulness to the Lord. Am I on the camera again? Look out there. Man, I got nervous there. When I slipped away from the pulpit, someone fell asleep on the camera. The Bible tells us numbers of things, and I'm glad for people who come on a regular basis, but if you're coming for the first time and you're not sure if you died today, you'd go to heaven. You're not sure that you have eternal life with God. You're not sure that your sins are forgiven. Oh, listen. You're in a good place. Not because this place can give you eternal life. It cannot. There's not a church that's in existence that can give you eternal life. A little bit later, folks are going to get baptized in those baptistries, but that water cannot wash away sin. Baptism can't give you eternal life. There are good, meaningful people and pastors and leaders that would love for you to get saved, but not a one of them can give you salvation. Salvation is not in a church. It's not an organization. It's not in works. It's in Jesus. It's in believing and receiving him. And that's why God gave us the Bible. The Bible's given to us for two reasons. Number one, to show us how to get to heaven from here. If you're not sure, if you're to die, you go to heaven, someone today needs to open the Bible and show you three things you need to understand and one thing you need to do. It's simple. It's not something you can earn. It's something Christ did for you, but it's putting your faith and what Jesus did. And, uh, but the second reason God gave us the Bible is to show us how to live every day. What to do with my life. What to do with marriage. What to do with childbearing. What to do with finances. What to do with the workplace. What to do with relationships and responsibilities. There is not a single thing in, that, in your life that you deal with that God doesn't talk about in some way in the Bible, either in precepts or commandments or in principles. Everything you need to know you can find in God's wonderful Word. I hope you'll read it. I hope you just won't just read it on Sunday. I hope you'll read it on Monday and Tuesday. I hope you just won't come on Sunday morning. Come back on Sunday night. Come back on midweek service. Go to Sunday school. Take discipleship. Do something that you would learn more about the things of God I'm glad you're here, and I'm very thankful. Today, we're in the book of Acts. Now, then, the book of Acts is one of 66 books in the Bible. The first book in the Bible, and by the way, it's just one book, but it has 66 books inside of it. The first book is Genesis, and it tells us how God started the human race with Adam and Eve, and how he started the Hebrew race with Abraham and Sarah. And it continues on through 65 more books until it concludes with the book of the Revelation. Now, much as much as a third of the Bible is speaking of future events, because God doesn't mind telling the future. He's already there. He, he tells a lot about what things are going to happen. 
and so that we'll have anticipation and we'll have instruction about what to do and how to look at things. Well, in between there, there's a book called the book of Acts. It's after, it's the fifth book of our New Testament. It's after Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, which we call them Gospels. They are all four books looking at the person of Jesus and his life and ministry while he was here for 33 years. Most of it doesn't tell us a little bit, very little. It talks about his coming, and that's why we have Christmas. And then it talks of, ends with his resurrection, and that's why we have Easter next week. And it's, it's really between the Christmas time when he came and his resurrection. He would live 40 more days on the earth, and then he would go back to heaven. The book of Acts covers the information after Jesus goes back to heaven, and now Jesus goes back to heaven, and God sends the Spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, back down to earth. And now he lives inside of people who have believed and received Jesus. Now there's 120 people in the first part of the book of Acts, but they would begin to tell others about Christ, and God, through his Spirit and his purposes, would win hundreds and thousands and hundreds of thousands, and now millions of people to believe and receive Jesus Christ. Well, there's 28 chapters. We're in chapter 18 today, and uh, the book, of, the book of, uh, of Acts tells us a lot about what happened in the lives of people after Jesus goes back to heaven. But the predominant character in the book of Acts after chapter 9 is a man named Paul. His former name was Saul of Tarsus, his new name, his uh, Gentile name is Paul. His Jewish name was Saul, named after the first king of the Jewish people. But his life was radically changed when he met Jesus Christ, and he surrendered. He didn't just, once he knew who Jesus was, he asked him a very good question that you and I ought to ask Jesus. Lord, what do you want me to do? <laughs> Once you recognize who Jesus is, he's not just a savior, he should be your Lord. He should be your boss. If there's a kingdom, there needs to be a king. And if there's a king, he needs to have rule over you and I, his subjects. Now, if you're not saved, you have no obligation to obey Jesus. But if you are saved, you need to let him decide for you what needs to happen in your life how you spend your money, how you manage your home, how you take care of your property, what you do with your time, whether or not you participate in getting the gospel. If he's the king of your kingdom, then you are his subject. You and I need to do what he wants us to do. Well, Paul probably did that about as good as any human being that ever lived on the planet. His mantra and his way he lived his life was, for me to live is... Christ, and to die is gain. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me. By the way, when you and I realize how much God loves you, there is no ceiling to what you and I would do for the Lord. When we know how much he loves us, and boy, Paul was convinced that the man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who he met on the road to Damascus, loved him. And he said, I am constrained by that love. The love of Christ constrains me. I'll do whatever he wants me to do. And would to God that was your testimony and mine. 
in this life that we would just do whatever the Lord wants us to do. Well, he gave his life. He probably only lived to be 61 years old. If you're older than 61 and not ashamed of it, would you raise your hand if you would, please? Okay, very good. I would ask you to stand, but that would be a very hard. Uh, no, I'm just joking. I am just about, uh, I'm just about six years from being your age, seven years from being that age. And they say he passed away before his 62nd birthday. But boy, in his life, once he surrendered to the Lord Jesus Christ, he was passionate about getting the gospel out. And one of the things that happened to him, he was in a church at Antioch, which is about 200 miles north of Jerusalem, and there God commissioned him and his friend Barnabas to go and take the gospel to the Gentile world at the time. But wherever they went in the Gentile world, they would first look for Jewish people and get the gospel to them. He would say in Romans chapter 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believeth, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's me and that's you. Most of us are not Jewish. We do have precious people in this room who are Jewish ancestry. However, uh, he said, I would go to the Jew first and then he would go to the Greek. And he spent his missionary work doing that. His first missionary journey was only 1,400 miles round trip, and he made that with Barnabas. His second one was twice that, 2,800 miles round trip, and that was primarily with Silas. When we pick up our reading today, he is in the last part of the, eight, of, of the second missionary trip, and he's getting ready to start his third one. His third one looks like he starts it by himself. He would like to travel with people, but he left Silas and he left Timothy in uh, to disciple new believers, and he made his way back down to Jerusalem, looks like, and he was going to take Aquila and Priscilla, two Jewish tent makers that worked with him, but they got dropped off over at Ephesus, and he made his way to Jerusalem, and then he would go back up to his home church of Antioch and then make his way back into Asia for the third missionary journey. There's a quick map we have for you, and I'll just show it to you if I can real quickly. You can see Jerusalem, where Jerusalem is, and uh, then Antioch, that was his home church that sent him out, and then they went over to Tarshish, and then to Derby, and then to Lystra, and that's where he got a hold of Timothy there, and then they went over to Troas. This is all on that second missionary journey. And then they're up in, in uh, Nepalus. And then they go to these houses in Philippi. And people get saved. They continue down to Thessalonica, then Berea, where they studied the Word of God. And then they go down into Greece, into Athens, and then makes his way into Corinth. He would stay in Corinth at least a year and a half preaching. And it was a great ministry. Hundreds and no doubt thousands of people got saved during that time. But it was a big city church. It was a, it was a wealthy church. But it was also in, in, uh, infiltrated with a lot of carnal, worldly living. And after he left, they kind of fell apart. That's why we have 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians in your Bible. You want almost every church problem you can have is found in 1 Corinthians because they kind of struggle. But that's where a great ministry was started and many things took place. Now Paul is finished with that and he's going down. And we'll see here, Centrea is one of our passages today. He's going to go there and, uh, and he's going with Aquila and Priscilla. They're going to go there. There's where he gets a haircut. We'll talk about that in a few moments. Um, 
One guy, one day, his wife brought him to church, and it was his first time to come. And his wife wanted to come. She was so happy. But the preacher was especially long-winded that day. And he preached and preached, and the man said, you've got to, you've got to, he, he won't stop. He won't stop. He said, no, honey, just stay right here. No, he said, I, if, if, I'm going to give him five more minutes. He doesn't stop. I'm leaving. She said, honey, it'll embarrass me, something terrible. He said, I don't care. I'm getting up. And sure enough, he got up in the service, started walking out. And the preacher was a little alarmed, said, sir, hey, excuse me, sir, excuse me. Where are you going? He said, sir, I'm, I'm going to go get a haircut. He said, go get a haircut? The pastor said, you should have got a haircut before you came in here. He said, sir, I didn't need a haircut before I came in here. Well, Paul gets a haircut there, and then he goes over to Ephesus. He stays there and leaves Aquila and Priscilla there, and then he'll make his way back down to Caesarea, to Jerusalem, and back to his home church where he'll go out for the third time. Let's look real quick at our passage of Scripture. Verse 18, the Bible says this in Paul. After this, tarried yet a good while, and then took his leave of the brethren. So he stayed in, in Corinth a while after this episode with Galeo and the, uh, the attempted arrest. And he sailed then to Syria, and, and with him he took Priscilla and Quilla. I think he was planning to take them to Jerusalem. They were Jews. They would have loved to have been there. They were kicked out of, of Rome earlier by Claudius, and Claudius is still alive at this time. And there he had taken, he had shorn his head in, in Centria because he had a vow. Now, real quick, very little is known about this, but most likely, most likely it was a Nazarite vow. And it, we don't know exactly why God, the Holy Spirit, does not give us a lot of information there. But occasionally, Jewish people, and of course, you know, Samson was a Nazarite. Samuel was a Nazarite. John the Baptist took a Nazarite vow. And in that case, they would do a couple things. They would not, eat, they would not drink anything or eat anything from the vine. Number two, they would not touch a dead body. Number three, they would not cut their hair for an extended period of time. That was the three parts. And we don't know whether he did it to just to show loyalty to the Jewish customs so that he could continue to have an inroad with the Jewish people. Or he may have done it because he was consecrated himself and using that time to consecrate himself. However, his vow suspended, and it looked like in Chantria, he went and got his head cut, his hair cut from his Nazarite vow. Let's look at the next verse the Bible tells us. Verse 19, and he came to Ephesus and left them, that's Aquila and Priscilla, in that city. But he himself entered into the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. So Aquila and Priscilla were there in Ephesus, that's where they came, and he decided it was best for them to stay in that city. He would later stay in Ephesus for three more years on his third missionary journey, and a great church will be started there. This is the humble beginnings of the church at Ephesus. And it started with a devoted couple, Aquila, that was the man's name, and Priscilla, that was the woman's name. They were a husband and wife team. They weren't preachers. They weren't pastors. They were business people who their job was to make tents to be bought by, purchased by, by nomads or Bedouins or whatever. They were tent makers. Paul would work with them, and no doubt they got saved. They had to leave Rome where their business started, and they made their way to Corinth. And there Paul met them and instructed them, and they became great partners in ministry. And I want to say to you real quickly, I want you to listen. I don't care what your name is, if you're a man or a woman, if you're old or young, Everybody has a role in the work of the Lord. If you're saved, there's a job God wants you to do. Someone said to me one time, a guy named Clarence Sexton said this, I only know of two jobs in the work of God. 
One is to be a pastor of a local independent Bible-believing church. The other is to help that pastor in that local independent Bible-believing church. And I think that's probably true. Everybody is either pastoring or you're helping the pastor pastor the people. Even the people that watch the nurseries, people that do the cameras, the people that drive the buses, the people that do the Sunday school classes, that clean the building after the service today. Everybody is either pastoring or helping the pastors pastor the people. And I think it's a beautiful thing. And I see these two people. I'm looking forward. I'm certainly looking forward to meeting Apostle Paul one day, but I am looking forward to meeting Aquila and Priscilla. Two people who didn't have a lot of fanfare. There's not a verse, there's not a, a sermon in the Bible by them. There's not too much said about them. They are mentioned here. They're mentioned again in Rome because they would be used of God to open their home in Rome to get the, another church started years later. They were simple servants that didn't care about the pat in the back or the kick in the pants. What they cared about was that they were helping in the work of the Lord. And our church is full of Aquilas and Priscillas full of people that love the Lord and who want to do something with God. And this is the strength of this church for 134 years has been men and women who did that. In our first 12 people that joined our church in 1887, only one married couple joined the church. It was two sisters, one married couple, and a bunch of single adults who signed the first charter and became the members here. And I think through the years, God has used single saints married couples to do great works for the Lord Jesus Christ in this ministry and for which I will ever be thankful. But what a wonderful day it's going to be at the, at the judgment seat of Christ when we get to see this beautiful couple using their talents, their substance, their encouragement to help the Apostle Paul. They would also help another man named Apollos. We'll continue about this. Let's continue if we can, please. The Bible says there in, uh, that he left them in verse number um, Verse number, verse number 19, and when they desired him to tarry longer with them, he consented not. But he bade them farewell and said, I must by all means keep the feast or go to the Passover that cometh to Jerusalem. And I will return again unto you if the Lord will. And he sailed from Ephesus. So he left Aquila and Priscilla there in, in Ephesus. And he alone, maybe with Luke, but they make their way down to Jerusalem. And they said, no, stay with us. Keep teaching us the Bible. He said, the Lord lets me, I'll come back. And he would come back for three years later on in his third missionary journey. But while he was there, that beautiful couple were used of God to take the new believers that he had preached to and start the First Baptist Church of Ephesus. And by the way, that church would be read again in the book of the Revelation. You can read chapters 2 and chapters 3. It was a great church. Now they had let love go out of their shine, but they were still a great church uh, for many, many decades after this was written. Let's continue, if we can, please. Verse number 22. And when he had landed at, Ce at Caesarea, just south of uh, Jerusalem, and gone up, we believe that's when he went to Jerusalem, he saluted the church at, that was at the home country of, of Jerusalem, and then he went down to Antioch. And after that he had spent some time there, he departed and went over to all the country of Galatia and Phrygia in order, strengthening all the disciples. By the way, he stayed there probably, they think, less than three months. He stayed there in his home church of Antioch, reported to them, and then made his way. We don't have from the Holy Spirit of God who went with him. 
It looks like he was a little bit independent this time. We do believe Dr. Luke possibly could have been with him, but he made his way up to, up the, um, up to the Jerusalem and then went up to Antioch, stayed there a while, and then he made his way across to Galatia and Phrygia. And it's interesting to me that he strengthened the saints. You know, one thing that everybody needs to understand is that people around you who are Christians need to be strengthened. None of us are clicking on all eight cylinders all the time. All of us need help. Say, Pastor, do you need help? I do. I get very light. I was talking to a man this week. He said, Pastor, it's kinda, I'm pretty low today. He wasn't talking like he was laying down. He said, I'm, just, I'm, I'm a little discouraged. And I went to go see him and tried to encourage him. And you have friends that people need to be strengthened. Apostle Paul, if there's any strong suit about him, he was very sensitive to people's needs. Sometimes he would be alone so other people wouldn't have to be. He would send Silas and Timothy, or he would send uh, Titus or someone else or Archippus to other places, and he would be alone so other people could be strengthened and helped. It's a beautiful testimony of the Apostle Paul. He went about strength. So now he has taken off on his third missionary journey. Let's continue on and see what the Holy Spirit tells us in verse number 24. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. So now in Ephesus, that is where Aquila and Priscilla were. And there's a fellow that came. He was born in Alexandria, Egypt. There he goes to this town. He ends up in this town. And it's very observable that, number one, he is gifted. He's very eloquent. He's knowledgeable. He knows the Old Testament. He's smart, he's gifted, he's knowledgeable, he's grounded in what he knows. And he shows up at the same synagogue where Aquila and Priscilla go. Let's look what the Bible tells us in verse number 25. And the man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit. He was not only gifted, but he was a godly man. And he spake, the, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord. Would you read the rest of the verse with me? Knowing only. So this guy, Apollos, was gifted, godly, but he wasn't grounded in the new Messiah. He had got only the information that said that the Messiah was coming. John the Baptist had been preaching, and people who believed him would get baptized into repentance, that they would agree that Jesus, that there was the Christ, he was alive, and he was coming. But he never heard of that. You'll find in chapter 19 that there's also another group of people that may have been influenced by Apollos. But he went to the, assembly, he went to the synagogue, and he said, hey, listen, I'm telling you what, the, whole, the Spirit of God's coming. And the Messiah is coming in just a few days. We're going to find out who he is. And, and the Bible says in the Old Testament, he went back to maybe through Isaiah or through Daniel or through Jeremiah. And he told them, hey, the, the promised seed, he's coming. And he started telling people from the scriptures, we need to get ready for that. John the Baptist already told us about that. But while he was in the synagogue and it was obvious that he was preaching and telling people and people were, he was gifted, he was godly. Aquila and Priscilla, that beautiful couple, heard him in the synagogue and says, he doesn't know. I could just imagine Aquila or Priscilla, Priscilla saying, hey, honey, he doesn't know. Jesus is already here. He's already died. He's already buried. There was no, in, there was no uh, Fox News back in the day, you know. There was no way to learn. There was not internet connection. 
Everybody who heard, heard about it uh, through word of mouth. And now he says, when he gets out, let's talk to him. Let's see what happens. And the Bible tells us here, verse 26, and he began to speak boldly in the synagogue. And when Aquila and Priscilla heard, they took him, un, they took unto him, took him unto them, and expounded unto him the way of the Lord more. And when he had disposed to pass the Vicai, the brethren rode and exhorting the disciples to receive him, who, when he had come, he helped them much, which they had believed through grace. Would you read verse 28 with me? And he mildly convinced the Jews that publicly showing by the scriptures that, boy, there's a lot of things to take in here. But I, I will tell you this. Not only was he gifted and grounded, but he was, will, he was gracious enough to grow. You know, sometimes people plateau, and you can't tell them anything. Here, this little, these little tent makers said, hey, can you come over to the house? We'd like to talk to you. Boy, you were really good. You were explaining so many things. Boy, I love what you said in Isaiah. And all oh, that part right there in the Old Testament is fantastic. Can we share with you what we've learned from a man named Paul who showed us how to be saved? Jesus already came. He, buried, he was buried. He rose again. And when Apollos expounded the word of God more perfectly, they said, you're really good. There's a church that needs you. You know what church they sent him to? Corinth. He said, that church is going to need you. We've been away from that church, and that's, got a, that's the big city church with all the challenges. Maybe you can go over there. And he went over there. They sent him a letter ahead of time saying, this is Apollos. This guy knows the Bible. He's understood the scriptures. He'll be a blessing. He was a blessing to them. And they grew mightily, and he was mightily used of God. And he proclaimed that Jesus is the Christ. By the way, everybody has a gift. But your gift is to be used to get the gospel to another person. Jesus, whenever he stood with that little lady at the well in John chapter 4, he said, could you give me a drink? And she said, why are you talking to me? You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan. I'm a woman, you're a man, what are you doing? And he says, if you knew two things, if you knew that eternal life was a gift and you knew who was speaking to you, you could ask me, I'd give you water, you'd never thirst again, I can give you eternal life. Most of the world doesn't know that eternal life is a gift and they don't know it's possible through Jesus. But just like God used Apollos, he wants to use you and he wants to use me. May we be gifted May we be grounded, may we be gracious, may we be growing, and may we be going servants of the Lord.